Awesome. So glad to be with you. What an awesome day it is. Not just because today is our 17th celebration of the blessing of the bikers, which it is. 17 years. It's crazy. God is amazing, isn't he? So grateful. So Kim and I, uh, many years ago, um, you know, we rode motorcycles back in Michigan, and you only have a little tiny window of time where you can actually do that in Michigan. You can ride snowmobiles longer than motorcycles. But, you know, as we did that together, it was our time to be uh, together, you know, and just to be alone and away from everything. And uh, I love loud, loud motorcycles, always have. I think they're amazing. And uh, we could still talk, you know. I would just put my hand up here and I would say stuff to her and we'd talk together. It was our dream. We went to a few motorcycle events and, you know, you can't stay there because usually there's alcohol involved, there's stupid games involved, there's uh, just not good stuff. And so we, we desired to have a place where we could go together and be um, and bring families together and have a time where the motorcycle community can come together and realize that you don't have to have alcohol um, sexual exposure of women in a wrong way, uh, to be able to bring kids into an environment where they could be and enjoy it. You know, if you have ever ridden a motorcycle, you know that when you drive down the street, every little kid stops and looks and they wave. I just think it's in the heart of everybody that God put that there. I do. It's pretty awesome. It's so cool. They do. They just stop and they wave and they got to see it, you know. And, I, and it's just a cool thing, and it's like, why wouldn't we make an environment where those kids could come and have fun and be a part of all that, you know? And so it was our dream to do this. Uh, there's been a lot of blessings through the years that people do. Uh, usually when they do a blessing of the bikes, uh, and that's what they call it, we don't. We call it blessing of the bikers, because I don't, I mean, I care about the bike, but I don't care about the bike. I care about the person on it. And that's why we called it the blessing of the bikers, which is different, but it's also like in a mass community, usually... They just have a clergy member pray a mass prayer over everybody. Just kind of like if I said, God bless these people, keep them safe, and just keep them as they go on their way. That's kind of what the blessings usually are. And so we wanted to lay our hands on people and pray over them specifically. As you know, if you've been a part of it, as the bikes line up and they come up to be prayed over, it's such a thrill. It is. It's such an amazing thing that people that don't even come to church, many of them do, but people that don't come to church want to come because they think if they're prayed over, something magically will protect them. And all we're asking is for God to magically encounter them and have Jesus revealed to them if they don't know him. And it's amazing that they will come and line up for that kind of a prayer because they don't know what they're doing. And we have seen through the years God change lives. We've been blessed to be able to perform weddings for those people, baptize them in their faith, Watch God grow them and change their lives completely, all as a result of a little event that is planned to have jump castles, you know, free food, uh, bike games, and, uh, and just a prayer. It's like amazing. And so through the years, we've looked at that, watched that go, and it's just the coolest thing what God does. I'm always excited about this day, but I'm also glad when it's over. <laughs> Every year I am. I'm like, man, it's like it's behind us now. We're good. We got another year under us. It's a cool thing, but it's, you know, there's a lot going on. So I told you now, don't let anybody spread any false rumors or anything that if there's 175 motorcycles, okay, not tricycles, not scooters, not anything else. I said 175 motorcycles. Everybody clear on what I said? That We have that recorded, by the way. 
that uh, I would shave my head and have a mohawk like my nephew Eric. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, I'm counting, not any of you. I love you, but I know you, all right? And uh, I know that you'll be like, it was 175. Please forgive me, Lord. All right, I know. I know that. So I'm counting, all right? So you're not going to pull anything over on me. But if there's 175 here today at the blessing, the very last thing we're going to do is the prayer. After the last bike has gone through, I will sit right in the parking lot and get my head shaved right there. So you got to hang out and see what's happening, right? You can pray for me and my wife, you know. I did say that I would wear it for one week and preach from this platform the following Sunday with a mohawk, but I'm going to have it combed like Eric does if I can. He's got different hair than me. He's got more hair than me for one thing, but I'm going to do the best I can to plaster it up like that and uh, whatever you call that. I don't know what that is. Um, I thought it looked like the wind, like you're riding your bike and it's like kind of blown back, you know? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to ride here with wet hair and however it looks, it'll be fine. And uh, we're going to do that. So you be praying for us. You invite some people to come. The reason I did that was just to have some fun with y'all. And I want to see 175 motorcycles here because I want to pray over those people and see what God's going to do. Change their lives completely. You can do it for a haircut, but God's going to do it for the transformation of their lives, okay? It's awesome. I'm excited about what he's doing. So thank you. We will come back together at 3 o'clock to do all the work. We're not doing anything after the service but leaving for lunch. We'll be back at 3 o'clock. So when the service is over, after you come to the altar and repent, you may leave. Okay? (laughs) That was a little prophetic message for you. Are you a born-again, spirit-led Christ follower? Are you? If you are, please say yes. Yes. You know what that means? (laughs) Everybody said yes, and only four of you said you knew what it meant. (laughs) All right, so a lot of people say they're Christian. A lot of people say they're born again. But you know, in the church, we've kind of messed some things up. Churches have messed it up. Pastors have messed it up. People have messed it up. And you know, we just kind of want people to say the sinner's prayer. If all you had to do is get baptized, I would rent a fire truck and drive through the town spring everyone I saw in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, if it's going to get them to heaven, why wouldn't you? You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm not being sarcastic. Well, maybe I am, but I'm not trying to be. I'm saying, like, if that's really all it is, then why isn't everybody getting wet? Really? And if all you got to do is say the sinner's prayer, why wouldn't everybody say the sinner's prayer? God, forgive me. Make me new. Take me to heaven when I die. Amen. Why wouldn't you do that? Okay, obviously there's something more to that. You can start your faith by saying the sinner's prayer. You can start your faith by being baptized. You can. Okay, it does work when you engage God knowing what he's saying to you in the word of God about those acts, right? But church, unless we are being engaged with God in that relationship and following his leading in our life, we're not saved. We're not born again. You can say whatever you want. But unless we are following his lead in our life and he has changed changed and changing us, then we're not born again yet. We okay to say that? Are you you comfortable with that? If you're not comfortable, it's okay. But I want us to understand that you see the, the whole thing about being born again is you died to your old life, you're in a new life. Follow me? 
That's what Jesus said, not me, not the theology of this church. It's God's word. The being born again is leaving the old life, starting anew. So are you a born again, spirit-led Christ follower? If you are, please say yes. Yes. Amen. That's awesome. If you're not, you can be today. Next question. I want you to answer this one out loud as well. Do you trust God? Yes. Awesome. Do you believe if you had $1 million, your life would be better? How many of y'all buy? No, don't answer this one. How many are buying lottery tickets? If you believe that if you had more money, your life would be better. Do you? Easier? There you go. See, we think it'd be easier, right? Okay, let's, let's move on here. Uh, I'm not denying that we need money to live, okay? We all do. Everybody has bills. Food costs money. Everything in life costs money, right? So we have to have it. The church needs it too. You okay there, brother? Okay. No, you're good. Um, We need to function as a church. We have bills as well. So money is needed to function. Um, But many of us, most of us, especially at some point in our life, but usually most of us born in the West, the American culture and dream is that we think deep within us, if I just had a little more money, things would be easier. And you know, if we took a little graph and we said where everybody was at, let's just say someone's making X amount and then someone's making X amount, but it's more here. Both people will think the same thing. If I had a little bit more, life would be easier. Right? I mean, it is what we think. It's what we're told. So as a Christian... Nobody's going to say if I had a million dollars, right? Because we've already been, we're mature past that because we already know not to say that kind of thing. But what we think is, you know, I just need a little bit more and the things will be okay. And I know. You're welcome. I'm muting my mic. Yeah, thank you. Isn't God good? All we need is a little bit more technology, a little more money to fix these problems, and everything's going to be better. <laughs> All right, so uh, it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, so anyway, we need money to get by, but we, we, when is enough enough? When is it? Have you ever woke up and made this prayer to God? Thank you, God, for the money that we're making. We don't need any more. Of course not. We haven't said that. You know, so here's the deal, right? You know that, it's crazy, but 70% of the people, this is an actual statistic done by people that do the research of all this stuff. 70% of the people who win a lottery or get a big windfall go bankrupt within three to five years. 
70% of the winners. All right, so you know how hard it is to win the lottery. And those minuscule amount of those people, 7 of 10, are being bankrupt. And you know what? It's crazy, but it's anyone that's winning anywhere from a million dollars, and they said all the way up to 500 million. This is their statistics. It's the same stat. That's crazy. You know, when we think about it, like, no way, man. If I had 500 million, there's no way I'd go bankrupt. Yes, you would. <laughs> okay, so as we consider that, I used to be a football fan. I like college sports. I do. I love football, college football. It's my favorite. I used to like the NFL. I'm done with them anyway. And, and usually I, what I used to hear from people that don't like sports is they make too much money. I don't like that they make all that money, you know, and all that. But, you know, the same time uh, performers, people that make movies are making more money than the athletes, but we don't think nothing about them, you know. But we won't go there. Let's just talk about this. The reality was there was a, a major problem, and I followed football and hockey. Those are my two big things that I used to love. I still do. But the problem was so real that the NFL began to assign every professional athlete a, a financial advisor when they got their contract because 78% of all professional athletes were broke three years after they retired. Now, y'all see all those millions of dollars they're signed for, and it's like ridiculous, uh, crazy amounts of monies that we can't comprehend what's going on. But 78%, that's almost 8 out of 10. I was like, what in the world? That is so crazy. How could that be? You know, and I was looking and reading up some of the statistics about all this, and I was reading um, one of those advisors who oversees a lot of this uh, help with these guys. And this is what he said about lotto winners and athletes. When they first get the money, they are euphoric. They lose all sense of reality. Okay, so let, let me pause for a second in the middle of his quote and just say something here. See, when something comes to us like this and it just happens, we have like a new level of experience in life. We have sensed and felt like we were captured in this much. There's only this far I can go because I'm limited. All of a sudden, somebody blows the roof off that and says, there are no limitations. Our emotions get all crazy we get into this thing and all of a sudden we're like in this unreal world and it is unreal and we're doing all these things and then this is what happens. This is the going on with the quote. They think they're invincible and powerful. Do you know why they think that? Because the people without money treat them like they are. Because we want to be their friend. <laughs> We want to make sure that they know us, all those people around them, you know, because money is influence and it's power. That's what we're told in the world around us. They think they're invincible and powerful going on with the coat. They think they're Superman. So here's the thing. Nobody thinks they're going to be that person. Everybody thinks they'll handle it different. Now, you may be thinking, like, why are we talking about this in this church? Because we're a blue-collar congregation and stuff. 
Because God wants to say something to us today that we need to hear. Church, God obviously doesn't think you and I can handle more than we have, or he'd give it to us. Is God providing for you what you have today? So do you think you need to give him some financial advice? And like submit that, I need a raise? You really want to sit down with God and say, hey, I need a raise. <laughs> okay. So as we consider this, and we're thinking that through for a second, he owns everything. God owns all of it. God's word tells us this. God had the streets of heaven paved with pure gold, not stuff that you can see and it reflects gold. No, it's transparent gold. I, I believe that God let us have a glimpse of that so that you and I would understand that we don't have a clue about what things are and what they aren't. I mean, it's stuff that you're going to walk on in heaven. Here, it's like we want to just kind of obtain it, grab it, and hold on to it like it's something and none of it's pure. We look at these things and God's saying something to us. He's like, look, I own everything. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And if he owns it all, he knows what he can trust us with. Jesus was doing the teaching on the talents and he said that he gave each one according to their ability. Five, three, and one. If you're a one, that's all he can trust you with. Stop complaining and start doing what he says. If you want to become a three or a five, here's some prosperity gospel for you. Surrender. <laughs> Do what God says. He'll trust you when he can trust you. But he's not going to trust you just because you want. You need. You think. Or you try. I can't believe throughout the years how many people that are in the church have come up to me. You know when the lotteries get like crazy amounts of money? Some people come to me and say, oh, I don't buy lottery tickets unless it's... And then they put a number on it. <laughs> and then they come to me and they're like, if I win the lotto... I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, let me win the lotto. If I win the lotto, the, I'll pay the church's mortgage off. It's like, oh, like Really? Yeah, so God's like, oh man, I could get some free money over here. I'm going to let him win the lotto so he can pay off the mortgage of his church. Like seriously, I mean, I'm being serious. I mean, we need to think some things through that we say and think. Like God doesn't need the lottery. He owns it all. He's not going to give you the numbers to win. He can't trust you. <laughs> if he trusted you, you'd already have it. And you wouldn't have to play the lotto to get it. This isn't against, this is not an anti-lotto message. So I, well, I had three things go through my head. I didn't say you're welcome. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Let's look at what the Bible says. What Jesus says to his followers. You ready? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's a pretty powerful statement right there. 
And so as Christians, we're like, well, I'm not enslaved to money at all. I just need a little bit more. You know, it's kind of like our out in this whole teaching of Jesus because I'm not enslaved. You know what? We are enslaved to money. <laughs> it's the way it is. It's like right there, and it's like, oh, God, I don't want to be enslaved to that stuff. I don't want it to own me. I don't want to have to pursue it. I don't want to have to go after it so that I can obtain and become. The world says that you can become and obtain if you have. God says that we become and have when we know him. And there's no price tag on that. Church, when I look at what Jesus teaches us, it's like, come on, man. Let's see what he says. See, I am not enslaved to money. I just need a little bit more, God, and everything will be fine. I was in, uh, When Kim and I first got married, my first like real job, I was a garbage man in the back of a truck. Probably most of you don't know that. But I worked on the back of a garbage truck, and in those days, it sounds like I'm old, but it's not been that long ago. Uh, in those days... The garbage man was on the back of the truck, and the driver drove you, and then you picked up everybody's garbage bags or cans, put it in the truck, put it back, and kept, went to the next spot, right? The company I worked for figured they could make more money if they only had one guy back there. They used to have two. I was the one guy. I did that for two years. So as I'm going through, we did this in Farmington Hills, Michigan, Beverly Hills, Michigan, a couple other cities I can't remember the names of. Um, so we serviced very wealthy families and the poorest in the communities. Like, um, yeah, just poor. I'll just say it that way. And um, as I did that job, and I would come up, and there may be somebody there. They were just bringing their trash out. Um, I would say hello to them. I was a Christian, following Jesus, loving life, knew I was doing that. God opened that door for me to be able to have that job so that I could marry my wife. Did it come up and say good morning and hello to somebody and some of those people that were in the wealthy places wouldn't say hi to me because I was a garbage man. For real. I mean, I'm not just saying that. They wouldn't. I even, the first few times it happened, I thought, oh, they didn't hear me. So I'd say it again. And then they'd look at me, like, step back, like, you talking to me? Because I'm nothing. And they were somebody. Because they had a big house. And they had money. I mean, I'm not making this up, church. I'm telling you that they treated me that way because they saw me as a servant that was dirty. I, I was blown away. I had no idea people were like that. I was young. I didn't realize that people were that dumb. You know, and I didn't stop saying hello to them. I didn't. You know, I'm going to tell you this. I didn't say this on the last service. It is so crazy. I tell my wife when I went home, it's like nuts. Some of these people would have servants that were like, I'm talking about in outfits, like servants. And they were like waiting for me to come in the garbage truck with the garbage in hand. And they would have to dump the garbage in the truck themselves because they had to take the bag in the house. Because the people that own that mansion wouldn't buy them another garbage bag. I'm not joking. We would run to those houses to throw those bags away, but I won't leave that alone, right? You know, <laughs> try, try and take it out of hand and throw it in. Have <laughs> one behind the back. It's crazy. And I'm like, that is so nuts. But that's, that's the way they were. Not all of them. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it was like scary how many things that I saw as I was a garbage man. 
And here's the thing I want you to know what I learned as a garbage man. I throw away all your stuff. The things that you thought were so important in your life end up at the curb. You would not believe how soon after Christmas I was throwing stuff away. I'm not joking. I took stuff home that was in the box, that was in the trash. I, I was like blown away because you see, like we can think and we have been told and many of us believe even in the church that that next new thing is what I need to feel better about myself. And so as I obtain those things, we find that at the end of that, it's empty. Therefore, I need the next thing for that feeling to be like where I'm at. That's why, church, please just process this through and think about it. You know, all those movie stars, those athletes, those rich people, they go through relationships. They're unhappy because they can't find what they're looking for. And that's God. That's where it's at. It's his love. It's who he is. And we're all pursuing that, looking for it. But we're looking at stuff as the answer to life. Money and things like this. And it's never going to be the answer. I'm not enslaved to money. I'm not, Lord. All I need is this much more. So this is another thing I learned. When my wife married, she's an amazing lady. She is. I mean, when, when we got married, we lived in a barn. And it was a barn that was built during the Depression by her grandfather. So it was a literal barn that he made a house so his family could live through the Depression. It was vacant and broken down and nobody was living in it. And we wanted to get married so the family agreed we could make it livable and live in the barn. And she did. She married me and did that. That's crazy, isn't it? Okay, so here's what happened. I'm working on the back of a garbage truck. We're living in a barn, following Jesus. Yes, all right. You can go brag about your pastor now. <laughs> We're going along, you know. And, and, and my thought was, man, I felt guilty and embarrassed and like I got to do something to, because she deserves better, right? So we think we have to get better. Well, God opened doors for me. He's awesome. I was doing some things, and, and God opened a door, and I got a job that paid me $5 more an hour. It didn't have all the benefits of the garbage truck because, you see, I was in the best shape of my life, and I had all the food I could eat for free on the garbage truck. My next, my next job didn't offer me that. I had to actually take a lunch from home. So that was a joke. It's okay. You know what I mean? Uh, so... <laughs> Like I said, you wouldn't believe what everybody throws away. But anyway, we won't go there. I never ate off the truck, just so you know. Okay, so I made $5 more. Like, seriously, that was a huge jump in my salary. Huge. $5 more an hour. So I thought, like, man, finally, we're going to be okay. But then we moved out of the barn. Of course, because now I can. And now we need to get a different car because we could. And pretty soon, I was living the same way I was in the barn. All I needed is a little bit more, and everything's going to be better. 
crazy is that I got a, a all I need is a raise, got a raise. All I need is this, got that. No matter how far and how much, same thing. Same thing, church. Same thing. One day, God came into my heart, said, are you ready to give this up? Like, quit my job and go full-time in ministry. Well, I'll be honest with you. We were doing pretty well. I had never made more money than I was at that time in my life. If we didn't want to like, cook at home, we'd go out to eat. If someone had a need, we'd give them money. I mean, it was just like that. You know, like things were just okay, good, great. We didn't arrive. I wasn't millionaire. I wasn't rich. But we were doing well. And God was like, you ready to quit? Oh. You ready to do this for me full time? It's amazing what God does, right? called me to the place of surrender. Do you trust me or do you trust you? Are you going to make it happen or am I? Put in my notice at work. I'm quitting my job. I gave him a two-week notice and I felt great about it. We prayed and talked to the Lord about it. You know, we were good. Told him we're stepping away. You know what happened? I told you this one before. The, the, the plant manager comes to me because we were working at the headquarters of this corporation that was global and he came to me and said, like, we don't want you to quit. We want to take you and place you in the uh, plant manager program. And we're going to start you at a six-figure salary. We will put you through the program. We want you to be a plant manager for this global company. <laughs> I, I kind of laughed inside. Like, seriously, I was like, you guys didn't even know I existed yesterday. You know what I mean? Seriously, you know who was behind all that? The devil was behind all of it, man. And I smiled at the guy and I said, that's awesome that you say that, but you know what? I'm not going to do that. I am going full-time in the ministry. And man, he got mad. He was like, who pays your bills? I said, God does. Will you cash our check? God provides. He walked away. He was furious with me, man. He was so mad. He was my plant manager right there. Walking away, and it's like, man, you know, God is so good. Church, I, I learned some things through these years that I've walked with God. I have been hard-headed at times to learn. No doubt about that. I've thought I knew better. I've thought that I would help God out. I've given him advice. I've submitted the, the whole budget and told him this is what's needed. I've done all that. Church, God is good and God knows what we need, and he knows what we can do and what we can't do. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? This is Jesus talking, remember? Remember who this is? This is God. Look at the birds. They don't plant, harvest, or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life?
And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today, thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Are you ready, church? Are you ready for the bottom line in all this? This is what Jesus is teaching us. Hear it. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Ah. Oh. Man, here's some great financial advice for us from God to you and I as believers. So we should know what the world doesn't know. We do know what the world doesn't know. God, the creator of all things, the owner of everything, tells us, seek him first. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Live righteously. That means live for him. And as a result of doing those two things, he'll meet your need. He'll do it for you. You don't have to stress out about it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to put everything together, A, B, C, and D. I'm not saying don't have a budget. At the top of the budget, it should say, God above all else. Live righteously. And then fill in your budget. When you do it that way, you will have your needs met. No doubt about it. That is prosperity gospel in its purest form, church. God will supply your every need. He didn't say, I'm going to make y'all wealthy. He said, I will provide your every need when you live righteously for me and you completely trust me in all things. So maybe we don't need a bump up in our budget to be balanced Maybe what we really need is a change in how we approach everything in life. We need to change our priorities. We have to change our priorities, church. We need to change them in the order that Jesus gave them. Kingdom first, righteous living, trusting his provision. That's it. That's your budget. You're welcome. From God. He's good, isn't he? Do you see how simple that is? Some people are all freaked out by budgets, but it's right there, you know? So is God first in your life? It's easy to say I trust God, isn't it? Oh, I trust God. And yet we're trying to figure it out, fix it all. In the first service, I, I didn't have any money with me, and I, I rarely carry cash. Um, so I asked for somebody to give me some money, and I got a 20. In this service, I got a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> Saw what I did with it in the first service. I just shoved that 20 in my pocket. That's why I only got a dollar. No. Uh, actually, the reason I asked for the money is because on the back of this, right above the 1, the 20, the 50, the 100, whatever you have, are the words, in God we trust. It's on the United States currency. 
There's many out there in this world right now that's telling you that, we're, that, that it's a lie. We were never a Christian nation. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that really wasn't intentional. It was with the 20, but not the single. I threw it right there on the floor. Um, so, you know, like we, there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, we're not a God-fearing nation. We were never founded on that stuff. Let me give you a little bit of history. But we're not going way back in history. We're only going to 1955, which was way before I was born, just to be clear about how old I am. But I've read this, all right? Um, in 1955, President Eisenhower signed a law that mandated that our paper currency would have printed on it, in God we trust. That law was put in, that legislation was put in to become law, by one of our representatives in church, you got to hear this. It passed through the House and the Senate in two weeks. Two weeks. You know that's a miracle of God right there because nothing moves through our government like that. All right? But in 1955, that law was passed. But listen to what that actual law states right in the middle in the context of it. This is why it was passed. Hear it now. It would serve, the motto itself, being in God we trust, would serve as a constant reminder that the nation's political and economic fortunes were tied to its spiritual faith. That was legislation that our Congress, our Senate, and our President signed into law and voted to make happen in our nation to constantly remind this people that our strength is not in our political abilities or our financial abilities, but in God. <laughs> Let that sink in. Do you understand that even in the church today, we're struggling with that idea? In God we trust. That all of everything that we have or will have or can become is because of him. Not because of what we have or what we can gain or what powerful position we hold. God's word tells us the kingdom first, righteous living second, God provides the need. The leaders of our, our political leaders said we need this statement made to the people as a reminder. So when they pull out their money to buy stuff, they'll see this, that money isn't the answer. God is. Church, that wasn't preachers. That was politicians. Think about it. And here we are in 2022. And look where we are. It still says it. It still says it on the currency. But it means nothing. It's just a word. In 1957, church, not only was it first printed on the money, but it also went through as an act of Congress to make In God We Trust our United States national motto. So it was beyond currency. It was letting the world know and letting the citizens of the United States know in God we trust. In God we trust. I'm talking about a nation of people. I'm like, Lord, if we just went through the churches today, we would have a hard time finding a large percentage of believers that would own the truth of what that is. In God we trust. It's easy to say it. 
We can get it tattooed on our bodies. We can make banners of it. We can print it on our currency. We can do a lot of stuff with it, church. We can. But words mean nothing unless the life is there. And this is exactly why Jesus said, seek the kingdom first, live righteously, and God will meet your need. That's why. He said that stuff that's out there that you think is going to fix it will never fix it. So why are we pursuing things that Jesus has already told us the right order of, but we've been told by a world around us that if we had more, we'd be happier if we, if we, if we. And we continue to pursue that, thinking somehow something is going to be better for us. <laughs> I just want it to help my family. You know, we can, we can sanctify anything. Lord, I just want to make it easier for my family around me by having a little bit more. <laughs> well, Jesus climaxes this teaching in Matthew with this verse that sounds almost out of place when you read through that whole section. When he's talking to us about, you know, seeking the kingdom first and all that, and why worry about the clothing, the food, and God's got you, he's going to take care of you. Now listen to Matthew 6.34, which is the very next verse. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. He's like, hey man, you're going you're gonna to have bills tomorrow too. You're going to have some struggles tomorrow too. But guess what? Let's deal with what's going on right now, because that's the only thing we need to deal with. And if we're just dealing with what's right now, God, God, this is the whole key that Jesus is saying, like, if you realize that today matters and that God has you today and he's going to provide your need, why are you stressing out? Why are you worrying? Just deal with what God's got you in today. Because if you're spirit-led, then God has you where you are. And if he's got you where you are, then why aren't you trusting him in it? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty funny, isn't it, that he's like, you know... God, you're going to have issues today. You're going to have issues tomorrow. Let's just deal with today. Stop worrying about what's out there in the future. Don't be consumed with the economics of this world. Do you know how much gets driven by the economics of this world? It's like that's all you hear about out there. In every aspect of our news and everything, it's all about the economics of the world. It's crazy. What specifically are you worried about? What is it that's keeping you awake at night? What control do you really have of that situation? What is it? You know, as we look at what Jesus is saying, he's like, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? <laughs> are you following the Holy Spirit's lead? These sounds like action steps, and they are, but they're not. Just so you know. All right. <laughs> are you following the Holy Spirit's lead in your life? Are you seeking God above all else? Are you living righteously? We're going to have a lot of people at the altar by the sounds of that. But anyway, all right, he's got you, church. Trust him. He knows what you need. If we start compiling tomorrow's what ifs, we're going to be overwhelmed with worries and anxieties today. Fear is driving that. Today, is the reality of all we have to deal with. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. 
glad I don't have to deal with Monday on Sunday. <laughs> it's a good thing. There's mass messages bombarding us through all of social media and all these things, and people state them as facts, and they're telling us all this stuff. You know, you already know this, right? Like, you're paying more for gas, you're paying more for groceries, you're paying more for everything, and, you, and you're getting less. They're shrinking everything you're buying. You know, you all know that, right? I mean, I'm not the only one that sees that. Okay, all right, I just want to make sure, because I'm thinking I think everybody realizes that we're being lied to all the time, and we're paying more money than we've ever paid for stuff. I'd like to hear a little bit more affirmation. I'm getting scared. All right, so, <laughs> okay, all right, but anyway, let me just, let's just go here for a second. So what? I mean, does God know or what? Is he in control? Do you trust him? Okay, then trust him. He knows what we need. He knows what gas costs. He knows what it's going to cost next month and next year. You don't need to listen to the people out there that are giving the you know, gloom and doom reports. God already knows. He's already got it all figured out. And he knows how to take care of me and you. So, you know, uh, September 24th was the end of one of the Jewish festivals. Uh, feasts of the Old Testament. And so some of our self-proclaimed prophets of YouTube and social media, which there's a lot of those, and you should shut them off, but that's another story. Um, you know, a lot of them were starting to say things about prior to September 24th. Watch September 24th. Watch September 24th. Something's going to happen. Something big's going to happen. Something's going to take go down. So that began to be reported amongst these. It's crazy to me that when I see those videos, there's like millions of views. Like, say this prayer, and you're going to have all your, your uh, financial needs met. And there's like 2.5 million people watch that YouTube, and I'm like, wow, man, people are dumb. But anyway, sorry if you made that YouTube. Let me go back to this here. Let's just say where we are. So I'm watching these things happen, and people are saying this. Now, what it did was it crossed from the self-proclaimed prophetic word into social media to those people that are not preaching Jesus, but they're preaching their own agendas about, you know, survival in life and the collapse of the world. So those people start talking about, well, there might be something going to happen on September 24th, and nothing happened. It was a Saturday. Nothing happened, church. Here's the tragedy of that and why I want us to wake up a little bit, and please stop pushing YouTube prophets on your unsaved friends, please. Because what it does is it makes God look like he's not God. When we send out messages proclaiming this is, you know, this is a prophetic word of God that he spoke through this prophet, or someone says it themselves, and then we send it to people because we want them to be saved or see something, like stop it. Because now God looks like he's not God. And your gospel doesn't look real because we're so busy sending messages out to people that the message we need to share with them is you need Jesus. Send them John 3.16 if you want to send them something. Tell them what God has done in your life if you want to send them something. Don't give them some mystical word from some nobody out there that says they're somebody. We as a church need to ground ourselves in the truth of who God is, not what people say he is. Church, 
There's people telling us about things that are going to happen out there. Listen, there's going to be a global government. There's going to be a, a digital currency. There's going to be a, a global currency. You're going to have to have a mark, a chip. You're going to, they're going to get away with money. They're saying, guess what? The Bible told us that. Have you ever read it? It's in the book of Revelation. God said this 2,000 years ago. It's going to happen. Are we going to stop that? Are we going to change that? Are we going to be like, not in my watch? <laughs> Come on, like, let's wake up in the church I'm talking about. The world doesn't know nothing. God knows everything. Here's the good news of God. His amazing grace is incredible. Church, please know this. God has pronounced judgment in history that he prolonged because of repentance. He was going to bring judgment upon nations and warned them through prophets. If you want a real short book to figure that out in, just go read Jonah. Walks through the city saying, 40 days, it's over. One of those guys with the signs. 40 days, the end is coming. The end is coming. Although it was because God said so. For the city of Nineveh. They heard the message. It says, from the poorest the king himself. They put on sackcloth and ashes and they repented and they begged God for mercy. And guess what? He did that. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's amazing. So church, do you know what we need? We need sackcloth and ashes from the president to the homeless. We need repentance in this nation. That is the only way God will postpone what he already said is going to come. It's going to come. It's not going to stop because you and I do certain things. The only way it's going to not happen in God's calendar of time is repentance. Please hear that. We need repentance. That is the key. It's the only way. We're worried about the what ifs, right? Let me share some things as for some reason, there's a lot of scriptures about being old today, and I'm not sure why, because I know I'm not. So don't, like, project this on me. Let's listen to what the Word of God says, okay? I've seen a lot of things in my few years I've lived. <laughs> I've been through a few recessions, a couple of them. I have physically seen people leave their houses abandoned, I'm not talking about poor people. I'm talking about people that had means that had to walk out of their home and leave it empty. I've seen that happen. I've seen people leave their families and go to another state trying to find a job because there was no work. And they were going to lose everything they had because there was no way to fix it. And they moved Miles and miles away trying to find something. Church, I've seen these things. I'm not talking about read them in history. I've seen them in my lifetime. <laughs> what I've not seen is the Lord abandon his people. Never. <laughs> I want to read a scripture to you that is found in Psalm 37, 25. Not 35, 25. Just to be clear from the last service. Psalm 37, 25. Listen to what it says. 
See, this is why I don't want you to project this on me. Once I was young and now I'm old. <laughs> I'm reading out of the Bible. This is the psalmist, not your pastor. Listen to what it says. Well, once I was young and now I'm old. Yet I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Hallelujah. Is that awesome or what? God says this to us, church. Jesus was trying to teach us this in the scriptures that we were reading. God's going to take care of you when you put him first in your life. You live for him. He'll take care of you. He's awesome, isn't he? He didn't say, I'm going to fill your freezers so that you don't have to worry about the next month. Did he? I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Do you trust him? In God we trust is a great motto. But we need to live it. We've got to live that, church. The biblical promises that God has given to us. If he's not first in your life, you're not going to have what you need. Because you need him. If he is first in your life, and you're living for him. What are you stressed out about? Why are you worried about stuff? He says he's going to take care of you. Trust him. Did God lead you where you are? Or did you? If God led you where you are, again, stop stressing out. Trust him. If you led yourself to where you are, repent. And let God lead you out of the mess you've created. Because he'll do that. That's how amazing he is. He will take us from wherever we are and lead us to where we need to be. All we got to do is repent and let him be God. <laughs> okay. We are on our, uh, our last verse, I believe. Hebrews 13, 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Isn't that awesome? Church, that is God's word to us. That's his promise. He will never fail or abandon us. Have you ever got up in the morning or at night or go to bed at night, I don't care when you do it, and pray and say, God, I have enough money. I don't need any more. Have you ever prayed that prayer? No, I didn't think anybody did. I haven't said that one yet, right? I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way, but let us reprocess some of what we say we believe, say we trust, and think about it. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said. That's a pretty cool statement, isn't it? The way that words that to us. He'll never fail us. He won't abandon us. <laughs> He's our helper. He's our provider. So what they think they can do to us? I mean, is God bigger or what, church? <laughs> We've heard a lot of action steps in the message. I'm going to give you the actual ones now. You ready? Just going to bring them to a couple questions. I'm not going to go through all those. Don't worry. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? 
if you don't, please know him today. If you come to this place in the altar, you might even get a dollar. It's right there on the floor. <laughs> I, it's not mine, so I don't care if you take it. All right. <laughs> are, you, are you worried about everyday life and the possibilities of the what-ifs of tomorrow? Are you there? Come on, man. I mean, it's like, what is Jesus telling us? Are you seeking God above all else and living a righteous life? That means that you are anxiety-free, worry-free. I mean, we should be always happy. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way, like fakeness. I'm saying, like, God's got me. Whatever it is, he's got me. I trust him. He's got today. Not everything happened like I thought it would happen today already. This day, I'm saying, like, I had things I thought were going to happen that didn't happen. I thought we had stuff going in place that aren't in place. Like, are you going to stress out about it, or is it going to be like, hey, whatever, man. Right? Can't change it now. In the first service, I didn't know, but my pant leg was caught in my boot right here like this. <laughs> I didn't even know. Normally, I'm always like making sure everything's all together, but it wasn't, right? And so someone came up to me and said, can you fix your boot leg? Uh, your pant leg on your boots? I said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we're not a perfect church we're not a perfect people but we serve an amazing god don't we all right so like you know what so what right come on do you trust god or not does he have you if he doesn't come and get it man he's got it for you lay those worries anxieties and all those fears of the what ifs right here and walk out of here free it's an amazing thing let's trust him together okay it wasn't my wife that told me, by the way, it wasn't her. She would have never let me get up here like that. But anyway, the altar's open. Stay with me. We're ready. If you're online, thanks for joining us. And you can always uh, email, call, get us some prayer support. We love you. God loves you. He's ready for you. Would you come forward? If the Spirit of God is calling you, please come forward, man. Why in the world would you ever leave and go out into your own anxieties and fears of life? He says, you can trust me. You can trust me. I am your provider. God, we do trust you fully in every way. You're an amazing God, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us here today, for being so faithful. Our provider. Our God, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Hey, just spend some time with him here, okay? He loves you. He's given us this moment. Let's thank him for it. See what he's going to do. Thanks for being here. You're, gonna, you're dismissed, and we're going to come back at 3 to start everything. We're not doing anything right now. We're just going to let everybody go and have lunch and relax and have an alarm go off or something. I don't know what's happening out there, but spend some time with the Lord here at the altar, and God bless you today. Thanks for being here.